Good evening and welcome to our program, your program, the Gospel Watch, um, here on Niger FM 101.1. I'm Mr. Adimola Adibayo and I'm standing in for your host, Pastor Tolumogaji. He sends his apologies, but he will not be here for this week and next week. Um, in that time, I'm going to make a presentation. Well, I'm going to share a series from John chapter 2 from verses 1 to 11. John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. And this is um, the first recorded miracle of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's got quite a few things in it that I'd like to share. And I hope you look forward to it. Um, before I start, um, I'd like to say please get your Bibles because I shall be referring to many scriptures. Um, I shall be presenting the first part this week and then the second part next week. But before I go into that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We give you praise, Lord. We thank you that you are Lord. We thank you for the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary so that we can receive forgiveness of our sins. Father, we pray, Lord, that, Lord, even as we begin to broadcast that, Father, let it be your word that will be shared. Father, we pray that let it be you that takes all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 2 from verses 1 to 11. Well, I shall be sharing the first five verses. And it reads, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thy thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, you know, let me just start with some introduction to this passage. And I'll present the, six, the last six verses next week. The first thing I'd like to say is that Israel was in a poor condition when our Lord Jesus Christ first came to the world. You know, the, 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 condition, the spiritual condition in Israel in those days was very, very poor. What existed before our Lord came had been apostatized to the extent that true religion was almost extinct. You know, I shall be going further in proving this. The religion was completely different from what God had set up in the days of Moses. You know, if many of us are aware well of, of the Old Testament, you know, um, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he gave him another 613 precepts of the law. And, you know, there were so many ceremonial laws, so many real laws that had to be followed. But by the time Jesus Christ came, you know, many of these things have been apostatized. That, you know, there have been so many man-made traditions that have been added to, you know, what was going on. So it was completely different. For example, you know, the religious leaders were blind, completely ignorant of religion they claimed to defend. Again, you can go into Matthew chapter 15. You know, read the whole of Matthew chapter 15. And you begin to have an idea of what I'm talking about. Now, when John the Baptist came, not many Jews could identify who he was or what he came to do. Now, if you go into John chapter 1 verse 19, it says, This is in spite of many Old Testament scriptures that predicted the coming of John the Baptist. Now, let me read to you briefly what is in John chapter 1 verse 19. There it says that, And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, asked him, Who art thou? You know, so message was sent to go and ask who is this john the baptist yet the old testament has you know prophesied that he will be a forerunner to jesus christ when jesus christ stood in their midst they were unable to identify who he was they weren't even able to identify the messiah 
you know. So the Jews, they were claiming to be waiting for their Messiah, but they couldn't even identify him. Again, you know, I'll give you an example there in John chapter 1, verse 26. John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. So John was telling the Jews then that you don't even know who the Messiah is, and this is the Messiah you guys have been waiting for for, for many, many years. You see, one feature of this dead religion is its substitution of God's word with the tradition of man. You know, it was, it was a religion of externals. First, this had no bearing on man's heart. You know, when religion becomes an external thing, there's no heart in it. You know, it, it's all show, you know, and that's what Christ said to the Pharisees if you go into Matthew chapter 23. You know, it says that you guys are just hypocrites because they had a religion that was external, but it didn't go into their heart. Then, it, secondly, this religion had no bearing on the Holy Spirit's prompting. And you see, it's important that we walk in the Holy Spirit, you know, because that's the only way we can please God. And it's within this purification rites that Jesus Christ made this point. You know, again, turn to me to Matthew chapter 15. I'd just like to read the first verse in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Now, let's read it. It says, Then came to Jesus the scribes and the Pharisees, which of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. See, they didn't say that the disciples broke the law of Moses. No, they were just breaking the tradition of the elders. But we all know that the tradition of the elders have no bearing on the law because it's God's law that really matters. So an elder can say something, and if it makes sense, if it's not against scripture, we can obey it, but we can't put it above what the Bible says. So, you know, that was there. Our Lord makes a statement in the way the miracle was performed, not only about himself, but also about the religion of the Jews that stood in contrast to him. It is not by chance that Jesus Christ required the servants to fill the jars used for purification. Now, let me give you a forerunner. <clears throat> the jars that were at the entrance of this place where the wedding was being done were filled with water so that people can purify themselves ceremoniously before they can go into the banquet. You know, they needed to wash their hands, they needed to wash their feet and things like that. But in reality, there's no purification that this water could bring if it's not blessed by God, if it's not a requirement that God requires. Because the Bible says that it's only Christ that can make us pure. Nothing in ourselves can ever make us pure in, before God. Now, I've got four points here that I'd like to share. Four points from this passage. The first point I'd like to share is that Jesus Christ has taken what was of no value and filled it with joy. You know, the water tanks, the water pots they had, it was not really of any value. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to wash our feet, wash our hands, but we can't elevate something which is of pure um, sanitary purposes and elevate it to spiritual purposes. No, washing ourselves, cleaning ourselves is more pure sanitary. You know, we, we do it so that we can keep our health, but it doesn't have any spiritual value whatsoever. And what Jesus Christ did was that he took what was of no spiritual value <coughs> and he filled it with joy. Now, the wedding organizers, they've run out of wine, which in the Old Testament is a symbol of joy. You know, wine in the Old Testament is a symbol of joy. Again, for that, I refer you to Psalms chapter 104, verse 15. Psalms chapter 104, 
verse 15. And let me read. It says, And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthened a man's heart. <clears throat> so that's a scripture. It's, you know, wine is a symbol of joy. So <clears throat> what Christ did was that he got them to empty the contents of the jars, which was based on apostate Judaism, and he filled it with the symbol of joy, demonstrating that joy can only be found in him. <clears throat> um, please excuse me. Joy can only be found in Christ. And what he has done is that by emptying the water, by filling it with water, rather than have water, the wine becomes that joy that Christ brings to the life of a believer. In providing them with this wine, he made use of what was associated with their religion. These jars of water were placed at the entrance of the home where the celebrations are taking place to enable the guests to wash their hands, thus, quote and unquote, purifying themselves before entering the home. The purification was not meant for sanitizing the guests, but for sanctifying them. That's very sad because they thought that by washing themselves, they will be sanctified. But that is not true. The Bible doesn't give sanctification through externals. Our sanctification is through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that continually works in us to make us holy day by day. You know, that's what sanctification is. God making us holy. But the reality is that these people thought that by washing themselves, they become holy. But that is not true. That is just a physical thing. You know, it makes you clean physically, but not necessarily clean spiritually. <clears throat> now, Jesus Christ's disciples never washed their hands as a basis of purification. They never washed their hands as a basis of being sanctified. Now, again, I refer you to Matthew chapter 15 from verses 2 to 3. In that particular scripture, you know, the Pharisees were rebuking Christ because his disciples did not wash their hands before eating. But they didn't have to because it wasn't a requirement. It wasn't a legal requirement from God. If God had required such a ritual, now if God had required us to wash our hands to become sanctified, if he had required the Jews to do so, disobedience would have been sin. And Jesus Christ would have insisted that his disciples perform it with him. Rather, in the case of Mark chapter 7, neither Christ nor his disciples performed this act. Again, I refer you to Mark chapter 7, you know, to, to see what I'm trying to say. Neither him nor his disciples did this as a matter of purification. Yes, I can say that they most certainly washed themselves as a matter of sanitary. And, you know, a lot of people might take me up on Jesus Christ washing the feet of his disciples, you know, towards the end of the gospel. But I like to say that that is a completely different thing. For a start, the washing of the disciples' feet was not even to purify them. But Christ was just trying to draw something there, that if he could wash his disciples' feet, then that's what they should do to, you know, disciples that follow them, you see. It was just using it as a basis of how we should be humble in treating each other. Now, in actual fact, none of these rituals gave the <coughs> disciples any form of joy because they were not associated with obedience to God. These things were not required. So, 
it didn't really give them joy. And that's what religion does. When people practice religion without any heart towards God, religion doesn't bring joy. What brings joy is relationship, relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That brings joy. Now, what joy do I have? I have joy that my sins have been forgiven by God. Why do I know that my sins have been forgiven? Because that was his requirement that Jesus Christ, he is the one who forgives sin. His death on the cross is enough to pay for my sin. And that's what gives me joy. But these rituals didn't really give them joy. And in all honesty, the rituals were performed to try to please God and not in anticipation of Christ, who will be the ultimate sacrifice for sins of those who believe. Now, the truth is, none of us can please God. The only way we can please God is through faith. It's through our faith in Christ that is how we can please God. We can't please God by our strength because who are we? We are sinners in the sight of God. So, that kind of religion is completely dead. Now, let me tell you how change comes. People change when they come to know Christ because he changes their heart. You know, change is always from the inside when Christ is involved. When I became a Christian, all the bad things I did before I became a Christian, I began to gradually let go of them. Why? Because Christ has given me a heart change. This is a heart issue. It's not something... Now that I've tried to please God, I'm not trying to please him by myself, but I'm relying on what Christ has done on the cross. And in fact, because of Jesus Christ, I've been justified before God. Because God looks at Christ, and it's Christ's righteousness that he sees each time I come into his presence. The outward form of religion is powerless to give anyone eternal life. The Bible says that nobody can receive eternal life by obeying the law. Now, let me give you a scripture for that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that for as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is reason, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, let me put that in plain English. You know, the Bible says there that anyone who tries to please God under the law is under a curse. Except they have done it all days of their life. Basically, to please God, you have to obey all the Ten Commandments, never break any of them throughout your life. The Bible says that if you break one of them, you've actually broken all of them. Again, I can give you scripture for that. Go with me to James chapter 2 verse 10. James chapter 2 verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. It says here, it says, For what whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If you keep the whole law, keep all the nine commandments, but offending one, the Bible says that you are guilty of breaking all ten. Let me go to the second point. Now, Christ has taken what did not bring purification and replaced it with a symbol of what? Of what that brings purification. Now Christ, he has taken this water that will never bring purification and replaced it with his wine that can bring purification. Now the purpose for which these jars were used was never accomplished. No one was ever purified by washing their hands or washing their feet. 
That is, the water from these jars never brought purification to his users because it was not what God required. God didn't require them to do it. Rather, the performance of the purification by the people revealed their ignorance about defilement being from within a man. You know, the Bible says that it's our sin that defiles us, not anything external. Being sinners in the sight of holy God, this ceremonial washing was incapable of removing that inner defilement. You see, sin is in the heart. The act of rebelliousness against God is in the heart. When we choose to sin against God, we do it through our heart. And that's what God needs to cleanse. That's what he needs to purify. It's our heart, not our external works. The wine was a symbol of Christ's blood. You see, it is this blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, that brings purification unto man. Please look into Matthew chapter 26 from verses 26 to 29. Now let me just paraphrase it. In this passage, Jesus Christ informs his disciples that it is only when man partakes of his flesh and his blood that it can be made right with God. Now this goes beyond mere awareness into understanding and partaking. By partaking, a person accepts that they have sinned against a holy God, thereby deserving of his just punishment. <coughs> I can say to you today that what I deserve from God is eternal separation, eternal punishment in the lake of fire. That's what I deserve. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his forgiveness. What I deserve is punishment in the lake of fire. And that is the standard. That's what everybody must believe before they become, be, be, become a Christian. Please, I beg you to please come in humility to Christ. Come in humility to him. You know, humble yourself and come to him and ask for forgiveness of your sins. Accept that only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, you can receive forgiveness of your sins. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 14 verse 6, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's only one way by which you can come to Christ, and that is through the cross. The question I want to ask this, uh, this evening is, are you willing to come to that narrow gate that God has said? Are you willing to come through the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to come through Jesus Christ to receive salvation? The Bible says that no man can save himself. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. Only Jesus Christ can save. Only Jesus Christ can save. Now let me take you to John chapter 14. And let me give you the first verses. Now here Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. That is Jesus Christ. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither you goeth, and how can we know the way? Jesus Christ said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now that's a very important statement. Jesus Christ is categorically saying there that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to salvation. There is no other way. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. I mean, let me give you another scripture here in John chapter 10. 
Let me let me show you something else in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, it says this. It says that. It says from verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man shall enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to, for, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. It goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. You see, Jesus Christ made a very profound statement there. That anyone else who presents himself as a savior apart from him is a thief and a robber. You see, this anyone else is like a spiritual criminal. Because they can't really fulfill what they promise. Only Christ can fulfill what he promised because he is God. Jesus Christ is God. And that's why he's able, he's capable to fulfill what he promised. Now, I've got about five minutes to go. And before I round up, I'd just like to recap on, you know, some points I've made in John chapter 2. And one of the key things I'd like to say before I go is that what Christ came to do, as shown in John chapter 2, is that he's come to remove tradition. He's come to remove religion. And he's come to give relationship. He's come to give forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus Christ has come. He's come to give us liberation, freedom from sin, freedom from offense, freedom from the power of sin. My question to you this evening is, are you willing to partake in what Christ has come to give? Are you willing to be forgiven of your sins? Are you willing to, you know, swallow your pride and come to the cross asking for forgiveness of your sin. You know, the Bible says that whosoever searches God sincerely will find him. You see, if you search for God sincerely, deep in your heart, the Bible makes a promise that you will find him. Now, where can you find God? You can't find God from a pastor. You can't find God from a deacon. They can open the word, teach you from the word, but, you know, they can, they can, they can lead you to Christ, but they themselves... They can't in themselves give you freedom. I can't give you freedom. The best place for you to find Christ is to go to his word. You see, go to his word. Look for a pastor. Look for an evangelist that preaches from the Bible only. Not people that preach what they think, but what the Bible says. And they will be able to tell you how you can find God. But even then, get a copy of the Bible. Read it for yourself and see what it says. And I can show you that God will open your eyes. All I ask you to do when you read the Bible is read it with an open mind. Don't have preconceived ideas. Don't have premeditated thoughts. Just, just read the Bible with, with, with an open mind. Um, I'm just about to finish. And what I'll be doing is that next week, I'll be coming back and I'll be concluding this um, part of the scripture. I'll be looking into, you know, the burden of the tradition and I'll be sharing another wedding that is going to take place in the future which the Bible has talked about. You know, the Bible says that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, that is going to be next week. But in the meantime, I'd like to say stay blessed and if you don't know God, like I said, please get a Bible, read it 
and may God bless you. Thank you once again, and may God bless you. Bye.